Betrayed by Sternreiter. Part two, the campus. Callum responded to Robert's gleeful declaration that Christmas Day was just a day like any other. His scoff muffled his reply and made it unintelligible, but Robert didn't seem bothered. The north wind blew harder. Callum and Robert buried their noses deeper into their scarves, dug their hands deeper into the pockets of their green padded greatcoats. These were basically stiff, upright sleeping bags, army issue, made from the same cotton wadding used for the doorway curtains. You wouldn't want to wear one to play badminton, but these greatcoats were just what Callum and Robert needed for their mission to save Christmas. Peering through the slot between the peak of his furry hat and the top of his scarf, Callum took in what was by now a familiar scene. Robert was right. The campus was indeed just as it had been on any of the preceding December days. Washed out, dreary, dusty. A muted bustle of dull green and blue padded cotton jackets. Students in bunches hunched against the cold. But still, thought Callum, he didn't quite get his new friend's delight at the absence of tinsel, Santas and fairy lights. Callum's parents, both teachers, had raised him to be politically aware and were no fans of rampant capitalism, but they'd never particularly associated Christmas with mammon. Christmas was just... nice. As they made their way towards the main gate of the campus, Callum said as much. This time, he risked raising his lips above his scarf to make sure Robert heard. But you didn't have to take the bus to school up and down Regent Street every day, retorted his friend as they passed the sports field. When they'd first arrived, Callum and Robert used to stop and stare at the tracksuited martial artists wielding their tin spears, pikes and sword in a shiny blur. Now they barely noticed them. Every day I'd sit on the top deck just below the Christmas lights that they'd put up in October... Robert's outrage was building nicely. The bus would barely move, crawling through gawping masses of shoppers, all clutching bags of tat. Callum had heard this rant a few times by now, but still found it entertaining. He'd started to notice how it got better with every rendition. A turn of phrase here, a gesture there. Robert might be a bit full-on, but he was funny, smart and observant. It was ages since Callum had thought of him as a public school twat. Robert was now onto Callum's favourite bit about Santa Fanalia, his name for all the trappings and tinsel of Christmas back home. As Robert hit his rhetorical stride, their own paces became less tentative. Now in lockstep, Callum and Robert had hit the broad path leading to the campus main gate. Heavy student footfall had eliminated any treacherous icy patches. They could now move with confidence. Any of the passing Chinese students could have detected a sense of purpose in Callum and Robert's body language, though they might not have guessed the nature of their purpose. December the 25th was, after all, just another winter's day to them. Robert had quickly dubbed their expedition the mission to save Christmas. His Scrooge-like contempt for the celebration's commercial obligations or religious ritual turned out not to extend to its festive spirit. Robert showed every sign of relishing as much as anyone the frenzy of festive improvisation now taking place at the foreign student's dorm. It was Robert who'd instigated yesterday's Christmas Eve tree-raiding expedition. Callum had been among the dozen or so members of the International Coalition Commando Force, another of Robert's phrases. First thing Christmas morning, Callum had literally written home about it. 
the hour's bike ride to the summer palace, the foraged branches smuggled through the exit beneath their stiff green overcoats, the triumphal ride home, each flying pigeon brand bicycle festooned with a ransacked limb. The resulting frankentree, branches bound together with string, had been decorated with extemporized baubles, earrings, bus tickets, stamps from the care packages sent from home, scraps of calligraphy practice paper. All four stories of the dorm had been converted into a complex of impromptu arts and crafts workshops. On their heroic exit, Callum and Robert's loud proclamation of their mission to save Christmas had elicited cheers from every open bedroom door. Homesick students interrupted their craft activities to give them the thumbs up. And what a variety of activities. Every improvised paper chain, streamer, banner, party hat, someone was even having a crack at crackers, defied the indifference beyond the doorway duvet. It was truly international. Classmates from all over the world were nearly all mucking in, even the Muslims, Buddhists and Hindus. Like all non-Asian-looking foreigners, Callum, Robert and their cohort of a dozen or so Edinburgh University students had discovered it was surprisingly hard to meet Chinese people at the Beijing Foreign Languages University. This mattered less when it was so easy to meet the rest of the world. They now lived cheek by jowl with just about any other nationality you cared to mention. The Lao Wai dorm was populated by people from around the planet, all fascinated by some aspect of Chinese culture, language, martial arts or expertise. The Brits, for some reason, were leading the Christmas push, but had been enthusiastically joined by French, Dutch, Belgians, Portuguese, Americans, Canadians, Russians, Cubans, Angolans, Nicaraguans, Venezuelans. Even the Mongolians were pitching in. Their grasp of Christmas was sketchy, but they were always up for any party involving drinking. Baikar and Purevdoj had just arrived with their contribution to the festivities. Litre bottles of vodka mysteriously acquired from their embassy. Four of them held aloft in triumph beneath two broad grins. They were immediately roped into making paper chains from coloured paper, having added two vodka bottle tops to the Frankentree decorations. The only ones not joining in were the North Koreans. But, as Callum had remarked to Robert when they passed their closed doors in the dorm, the North Koreans never joined in with anything. Callum tried to imagine himself uttering that sentence at all, let alone in such a throwaway manner three months ago. Kakodi, for so long Callum's entire world, was now looking very parochial. They had reached the campus main gate. While Robert transferred a glove to his mouth in order to locate the scrap of coloured paper bearing the directions, Callum scanned the crossroads outside the gate. He took in the chaotic masses of students, street-side vendors, bicycles and buses, and pondered the maze of possible paths that lay before them. Had he glanced back, Kokordi would have been a speck in the far distance. In part three, The Mission, we find out what Callum and Robert's mission to save Christmas actually involves. The series was written, narrated and produced by Sternwriter. Audio production by Samuel Wynne. The Truth Lies in Bedtime Stories is a see-through news production. See-through news is a not-for-profit social media network with the goal of speeding up carbon drawdown by helping the inactive become active. For more, visit seethroughnews.org. Thank you for listening.